It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Monday, June 18th. I'm Sophie Cases. Today, we're looking into the global Goliath of a corporation, Amazon how it's essentially become too big to tax, and the terrifying effects this could have. In 2017, Amazon's total revenue reached $179 billion. And to top it off, it's owned by the richest person in the entire world, Jeff Bezos. Despite all of this, the company has flexed its political muscle by fighting a historic tax in Seattle that would have helped pay for affordable housing. I don't know about you, but I find this terrifying. So I sat down with Vice News editor Matt Taylor to get the story. Amazon's global headquarters are in Seattle, which has changed so much as a result of the tech boom. But it's important to note, as you do in your story, that the city has the third largest homeless population and, like the rest of the country, is experiencing a shortage in affordable housing. So with that in mind and in an effort to raise city revenue, the city of Seattle passed a historic tax on Amazon and other large corporations. But as you said in your article, and I'll quote you, once this happened, everything went to shit. So... We're going to get into what happened here, but let's start specifically with the tax. What was it? The tax is usually referred to in the press as something that sounds either boring or confusing, which is a head tax. But what that refers to is just each individual employee or person or head. And the idea is that you're actually imposing a tax on large corporations that have obviously brought benefits to a lot of cities, Seattle being, in this case, the example, but may also have imposed costs when it comes to driving up the cost of housing, making it harder for low-income or even middle-income people to afford to live there. And the premise of the tax was we have a massive homeless population. We've already spent a bunch of money, but we still haven't put much of a dent in it. So we actually need to go around the traditional ways of taxing the whole population. And specifically in Seattle and Washington, where there isn't an income tax. It's actually a lot harder for the governments to raise revenue. The thought was, why not just go directly to the source, the handful of mega corporations, Starbucks, and of course, Amazon, and get the money there. So if the tax hadn't been repealed, what would it have ended up costing Amazon? So the tax in its original form was much more aggressive than the one that actually went into effect, which I think speaks to just how much power and clout companies like Amazon have, not just in Seattle, but around the country. It's not exactly rare to see politicians putting on a show, passing laws even, to encourage investment, to try to attract businesses. And you've actually been seeing this in recent months with Amazon and other cities, where their big plans, much ballyhooed plans to have a new headquarters, have had cities ranging from New York all over the place, trying to attract them there and attract their investment. In 
the case of the Seattle tax, it ultimately was $275 per head or per employee, which is much lower than the original $500 plan. They thought this was a nice sort of concession and that they couldn't imagine that this would actually meet the kind of groundswell of opposition that it did. And as far as what it would actually cost Amazon, it would have cost it just $12 million in the first year. And how much is Amazon's revenue compared to $12 million? I mean, the short answer is, I guess I put it in the story and using kind of a hackneyed metaphor, is that it's a drop in the ocean. It's such a an infinitesimally small share of Amazon's income that it was unfathomable, at least to me as an outsider, that it would produce such a backlash. The short answer when it comes to Amazon's revenue, which was up 38% last year, by the way, is that it's in 2017 was $179 billion. So $12 million isn't just not that big of a hardship for a corporation. It's honestly hard for me as a layperson to imagine that it actually would have made any impact at all. Right. So with this in mind, that being a drop in the ocean rather than like a drop in the bucket, like it's just infinitesimal, as you said, What was Amazon's or Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon's sort of argument for leading the fight to reverse or repeal this tax? So it was interesting because from the reporting I've seen, uh, a lot of it in particular in The Atlantic, Alana Samuel is a great reporter there. It looks like Amazon and the other businesses that opposed this mostly did so by way of a, a couple of advocacy and sort of political groups. I think in part for the obvious reason that it makes you look less selfish or less sort of craven if you're putting your efforts under a somewhat less uh, ominous or specific-sounding advocacy group name. Mostly the opposition was framed as, we've already spent all this money on homelessness. The problem just seems to be getting worse. We don't want to punish or scare away job creators or employers, which is obviously a common refrain you hear, not just from businesses, but from politicians. I mean, Republican politics for a long time has been framed as, we're the party of business, we support job creators. And even Democrats are often speaking in terms like that now. So in the case of Seattle, it was, we're fed up. You know, we've we've been trying to help the homeless population and this increasingly left-wing, in their eyes, city council which I believe only has one actual socialist as a member, but in any case, was essentially had crossed the line and a message had to be sent that this wasn't going to work, in part, it seems, to discourage it elsewhere, right? Because I think the reason this tax was so exciting to a lot of people, whether they're concerned about a lot of the homeless, whether they just don't like big tech companies, or whether they just want the government to be able to function was that it seemed to provide a model that could be followed in other large cities with big tech companies. And now that we've seen it collapse in a matter of weeks after initially being passed just under a month ago at the time of the repeal, it's a lot harder to see that happening. Yeah, I I completely agree. And what you're describing is sort of, it's sort of incomprehensible. I mean, I think it's important to note not just the revenue of Amazon as a corporation, but also that Jeff Bezos, the CEO, is the wealthiest person in the world right now and himself as an individual has a net worth of almost $140 billion. And for me, when that's juxtaposed with the income of 
people seeking affordable housing in his own city of Seattle. It's just wildly incomprehensible to me that, you know, we see companies like that saying $12 million is, you know, we don't want to pay it for whatever reason. So in your article, you connect this repeal of the Amazon tax to a broader trend towards corporate consolidation and and monopolization. Can you give us that broader context and just kind of lay out the landscape for us? Yeah. So, I mean, Amazon, I think, drew a lot of alarmed tweets and headlines when it acquired Whole Foods and got into the brick and mortar game in the last year or two, in part because it had always been an online retail Goliath that was incredibly powerful and maybe threatened the publishing industry. Maybe it threatened some of its rivals when it started producing its own TV shows. When it became a brick and mortar business too, people started to freak out a little bit about the idea that they had, because of its market share, because of its wealth, it might be able to drive prices down so low that it would make it harder, not just for local grocery stores and small businesses, but even for other large grocery store chains to, to continue to compete. But more immediately, the context is on the same day as this repeal that really disappointed a lot of advocates for the poor, for the homeless, for just having money to spend on things people need in America. A federal judge approved the merger of AT&T and Time Warner, which actually had been opposed by the Trump administration. This was something he actually spoke about in the campaign trail. Most of his populist promises have sort of proved to be pretty hollow Uh, This is one he was talking about late in the campaign, and I think a lot of the reporting and and speculation has been, well, he just hates CNN. He likes to talk about fake news, and CNN is a, a Time Warner subsidiary, so maybe that's the only reason he cares. But in any event, he was opposing this, and his administration was arguing against this on antitrust grounds, which is to say that you shouldn't be able to have the company that provides internet and television access in the form of AT&T, and then the company that owns a bunch of businesses that actually produce content, whether it's CNN, HBO, these are all Time Warner properties. The idea being that in in some dark, more terrifying future, this new mega corporation, should it in fact emerge, might be able to say to rival cable companies, well, okay, you can have HBO shows, you can have Westworld, but we're going to charge you extra for it. And that could potentially lead to a slippery slope increasingly towards one company just really having all the power and and all the customers and and ultimately destroying the idea of of even something resembling competition. So that those two things, the Amazon tax dying, the AT&T and Time Warner merger, at least tentatively being approved by a federal judge happening on the same day, gives you a sense of the context. It's increasingly hard in this country to see a future where we're not all sort of required to do business with a handful of corporations. And that's not a new problem, right? I mean, going back to Theodore Roosevelt in the first part of the 20th century, this was certainly true in the past. There was a tradition as recently as the 1960s and 70s of Democrats in particular being very strong on issues of antitrust and wanting to to break up large industries and make sure there was competition. It's gone out of fashion since then. It's kind of become bipartisan to say, well... You know, as long as there literally isn't only one option, what's the big deal? And that's sort of where we're at now. How do we get it back into fashion? Is there anything happening on the ground? What's being done? What needs to be done in order to fight this trend? 
There are a couple, more than a couple, I should say. There are a handful of thinkers and advocacy groups and politicians who are talking about this. Maybe the most interesting is a group called Open Markets, uh, which sort of famously got into a tiff publicly when some of its funding was coming from Google and some of its employees, some of the, the analysts and fellows and as part of the group. It appeared that there had been some pressure applied given their own criticisms of, of Google, uh, which created a potential conflict of interest. They sort of spun off and are now operating on their own. And what you're seeing is they actually are, I think, having an influence. I mean, the Democrats, their plan to retake Congress is obviously mostly about saying how bad Trump is, whether it's on immigration, whether it's just the sort of hate-filled things he said or, or encouraged his equivocation on the alt-right and what happened in Charlottesville, that sort of thing. But one plank they have in their platform is being tougher on antitrust issues and being stronger about opposing monopolies or near monopolies. It's hard to say, frankly, with the party that has traditionally been really close with the tech world, what to make of that. You know, Barack Obama famously was beloved in Silicon Valley and in Wall Street and is also the closest thing we've had to a progressive president in a very long time. So I don't want to say that there's a movement out there on the ground that you can necessarily find a local chapter of in your city to get involved with antitrust issues, but there are groups and there are politicians who are talking about this stuff. Elizabeth Warren is another obvious Democrat who talks about this. And I would say if this is something that bothers you, the best thing, almost always invariably in politics, it sounds kind of lame and maybe it sounds ineffectual, but the studies do show that calling your member of Congress and expressing concern about an issue actually does tend to move votes. And while it might be too late for Congress to intervene in, say, for example, the AT&T or Time Warner merger, there is a way to indicate that you have feelings about this stuff. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And normally, I think I would end the interview there. But I do have one last question, which is, do you think that the collapse of the Amazon tax specifically in Seattle will have a ripple effect in other cities and open the door for other kind of Goliath corporations to do the same? So the short answer is we'll find out. It's certainly ominous. Um, Mountain View, California, which most famously you know, is the headquarters to a lot of Silicon Valley companies, Google among them, is considering a similar tax. And the early indications are that this hasn't torpedoed that effort, that for whatever reason, the politics in the area, the the specifics of the situation, it's not clear to me, so far at least, that one is going to, to tank the other. But you're going to need to see a couple of big cities successfully tax big corporations and not repeal them, right? Have the money actually come in, have the money get spent to set a precedent that's more encouraging. Because again, I think the thing that was really disturbing to me and a lot of the other people who followed the Amazon situation is it's not like this was a small town in West Virginia trying to tax a local coal company or something. This was a, a city where being a socialist is not enough to prevent you from getting elected to the city council. And yet the local democratic establishment essentially got cold feet. The business community was really angry. They felt like they were kind of being picked on for a homelessness problem that they didn't really think they'd caused, or at least thought they'd already spent enough of their own money to try to help assuage. And they won. So the short answer is, is we don't know. But um, it's hard for me to be hopeful that this won't spread elsewhere and at least serve as a warning signal. Well, thanks, Matt. My pleasure. To read Matt's full story, go to vice.com. 
That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And make sure to tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.